so I do want to start off by saying for like the fifth time now that I really, really, really thoroughly enjoyed your book. So the whole reason how I got into finding your book is we were in our distance learning cohort sort of thing on Zoom. Yes. And during work, there was this uh, two truths and a lie segment. You had two other things. And one of them was about having a book. And you having a book was one of the things that I didn't believe because I didn't know anybody (laughs) who had actually written a book. So (laughs) then you came out and said, oh, no, I wrote a book. And instantly I messaged you in the chat. Yo, you have a book. I want to know what this book is. I want to read it. (laughs) And you told me I found it on Amazon Prime. You told me that it was also at Barnes and Noble, but you still ended up getting the money from it because I did buy the book. It and wasn't I like I got it for your free. Support. Exactly. I support everybody that I know has something out. I support them 110%. Even if it's only a little bit, I still support as much as I can. And I saw so. your review later on that I had no idea you had left <laughs> for the book. So I oh, appreciate yeah. that so much that you left a review because a lot of people read the book, but they don't, you know, I know leaving a review, you tend to forget or you just kind of, you know, fall out of like, oh, I'll just do it later. And then it, nobody ever comes around to doing it. Exactly. So I saw yours and I was like, that is so awesome. And I appreciate that you left the review because it does help people getting to know what it's about or without any spoilers in there. Yeah. Um, but just like, <laughs> so people could know what people genuinely feel about it. And I I saw that and I was like, Mr. Quincy is (laughs) awesome. And what's crazy about it is I'm a part of a success group on Facebook. I'm part of like two or three um, from a lady that I met during one of one of the uh, poetry nights that I that I spoke at. Um, She invited me to one and then she ended up inviting me to like two or three more after we had some conversation. One question that I had, I want to say was in February or early March was what are the books that you guys read to keep yourself motivated? I said, I've completed this book and I'm still going back to check out notes on it. And I referenced your book and I don't know if anybody could actually look at it, but I was like, yeah, I actually know this person. I work with her. She lives exactly what she puts in the book. So it's (laughs) It's oh my gosh, book. that made me so happy. I appreciate that so much because I know you're being genuine about it too. Mm-hmm. When you say it, I know you mean it because I'm the same way. I won't say anything unless I mean it. Right. So I appreciate that. That's so awesome. I had no idea. Like I told you after I had uh, read it and even while I was reading, I was like, yo, there's some things that I'm going to want to ask you about. I have like 200 notes in here from different things I mean none of it is bad none of it is I mean none of it is really constructive because it's all structured the way that it needs to be and I'm open for constructive feedback I'm always open for that you know if you have any only one thing that I wanted to challenge but I'm going to save that for later I'm up for challenges so um I'm actually going to be jumping around a bit from chapter to chapter because there are spots that I really, really, really liked that were like, I'm not going to rank them, but there were definitely yes. some that I, I like, I loved everything, but there's some that really stuck out to me. So, so I have um, a real quick question for you too. Yeah, You're a male reading females book at, right. with, from a different background, different ethnicity. I sometimes ask my audiences or my readers, did the book, it sounds like it did, but just to personally ask you, did it really speak to you? in a way where it related best to you? Or do you kind of feel like uh, it's a, it doesn't really apply to me being a male, she's a female, or like she's from a different cultural background? 
not so much from the uh from from what you'd see on the face value so yes. as you mentioned you being a woman you being yeah. from a different ethnic background and different upbringing it was more so different things that and, and the answer is yes to both but um there are certain things that i couldn't it's not so much that i couldn't relate to it but it's that i didn't experience yes so you get to put yourself in their shoes in, in sort of like a virtual sense and of course some people empathize with that and they're like oh man if I was in this situation I could do this differently or mm -hmm. if I was this person I would do this and that's something that I don't really like to say or yes. echo because it's like okay what you would do differently is if you had all of your current experiences your current mentality everything that you've learned growing up and then you get thrust immediately into that person's situation and you would respond that way versus putting yourself in their entire upbringing and you would have to experience all of that and then you would be able to say okay I would do this differently so Absolutely. that's the fun part about reading other people's experiences is being able to empathize and virtually put yourself in that space but you have the luxury of saying oh okay well I mean even though this was their tough problem at least I don't have to deal with it or yes, I didn't have to experience it <laughs> But now I know that if this situation were to happen again in the future, I would know the different tools, the different things that I can say, the different uh, practices that I can put in motion. Yes, absolutely. But the part that ended up being relevant to me was just so much of the positive talk, so much of the yes. um, understanding, the thought process that goes behind to remain an individual. Yes. There's a lot of people that when, and I'm guilty of it, is empathizing so much that you want to become the person that you read about. That's and that is a very, very tough habit to break. Um, one of my favorite books was the entire um, forgetting, but I read it in the seventh grade and I continued reading through the eighth grade, all three books in the series. That was the first book that I ever read where I cried. And I had to read that book oh. alone in my room. <laughs> I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody while yes. I was reading. Um, this hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, what am I reading? <laughs> but in reading that, I had this newfound, very extreme sense of wanting to become a better person. And I overcorrected to where I wasn't so much myself, but I acted as if everybody was this guy super nurturing guy when I grew up being a very sarcastic and jokey person. And now it's yes. like, what changed? Uh, I read this book and I don't know if you guys are going to read it, but it's going to change your whole life. Yes. But There's always that one book that speaks to you most and just really touches you in a way that no other book will, and it'll completely transform and change your life. Mm -hmm. I think we all have that book. But um, my favorite book that I always come back to find a way to read is uh, called If You Love Me by Marilyn Reynolds. That's an intense story. That's yeah. an intense book. And I read that in wow. my freshman year of high school. Oh my goodness. And I picked it up by accident. I don't even know why I picked it up, but I picked it up and I, I don't think I'm ever going to let this book go. Yes. And I almost got charged from the library for keeping oh, right. it for so long. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was one of my favorite books. Growing up, I wasn't a big reader. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really care to read. I didn't like reading. I thought reading was boring. I always wanted to play games and 
be outside and actually do stuff. Like but majority of boys at that age, yes. Exactly. <laughs> but as time went on, I started going into reading more than just graphic novels and then having other books that, uh, that I've picked up in that time have sort of evolved me from being, uh, I only want to look at my screen. I only want to see things. I only yes. want to be uh, attached to the visual medium and life experience medium to actually wanting to read yes. that. It's not just about what it is that you see on YouTube and all these different things. Every movie that you see, every story that you read, every YouTube video that you come across had a storyboard. They all had these different ways that they wanted to give you information. And that's really all reading is, is exactly. taking in information. Yes. So I'm not going to talk <laughs> that much more about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's really my history with reading. Um, uh, back to the story i just realized i hadn't even said the title of the story i've been just talking we've been just talking about reading and talking yes. about the book it is called reaching the light of consistency uh i mean i'm sure that you can plug everywhere that it is or just just new it's on amazon uh with prime two-day prime shipping i always like to emphasize that it's on amazon kindle as well um on the kindle app on barnesandnobles.com there are some sister sites as well but it's international so this is mainly for U.S. Uh, residents, but you can have it in the ebook version, Kindle version, and then just the actual paperback. So it is on demand. So if anyone ever wants to get it, they create it as you order as it. As you request it. Yes, exactly. So it is, those are the two main sites that I focus on primarily, Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, because everyone, I mean, Amazon has just expanded so much within the last couple of years mm -hmm. and amazon was not as big as it is now when i first got the book published but those are the main sites that i like to emphasize and then obviously i forgot to mention my own website which is um, www.enlightenyourmind.org and they can also purchase the book from there and yes i do have a podcast as well my friends um, <laughs> now go ahead and plug the podcast i'm fine with it i'm <laughs> It's all right. Sometimes like I said, this is all organic. I'm not going to force anything anymore. Just let it be as it is. Real quick, you can find my podcast. It's called Enlighten Your Mind. It's on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, and Spotify. So mainly on iTunes and Spotify are the main sites for the podcast, but you'll see uh, what it's about. But it's it's going to be similar to what we, the discussion Mr. Quincy and I are having today on this episode. It's a lot of motivation, talking, real-life topics, motivational, spiritual, medical, anything you can really think of. And I will say, I happened to listen to episode one. I was actually out of town and I was laying down and there aren't many people who have podcast voices along with podcast content. Episode one is podcast voice meets podcast content. <laughs> and it all just meshes well. I didn't fall asleep to it because I was earnestly listening. But episode one. I'm so glad I don't put you guys to sleep. That's a great thing. <laughs> no, and I was tired that day too. I was like, no, I'm, I'm actually going to listen to this. <laughs> 
Yes. And stay tuned, you guys, because Quincy will be on one of my podcast episodes as well. Him and I have some projects we'll be working on together, which I'm so, so, so excited about. But that's just a little sneak peek. I'm not going to say anything more. He has all the info. And yeah, this is what, uh, <laughs> what college football calls the one in one. There we go. They're in one team's home city for one game, one season. And then the next season, they go back to the other uh, stadium. There so we go. It's a one in one. Yes. <laughs> it's teamwork makes the dream work. Exactly. So shameless plug. I was going to plug the website later anyway, but <laughs> since you got it knocked out, I had these Thank all you. in my interview notes. I had everything I was going to talk about, but you beat me to it. So that's Mr. fine. Quincy, he's the plug. <laughs> and yes, I do refer him to Mr. Quincy, my friends. <laughs> and I still refer to her as Miss Zam. Although yes. for this, I'm going to have the uncomfortable pleasure of still calling her just Zam. Yes. So <laughs> talking about the book in the short time that I've known you, five and a half months, give or take, I've learned a little bit about you. I'm not going to say I learned a lot because I don't yes. know everything, but I've learned a little bit about you. And what I have learned about you is your love for all cultures, your love for all things that are living and non-existent and existent and all of that. You just love everything. You're positive. You're, uh, you have such a warm embrace of life, every walk of life, every culture, ethnicity, all these different things. More so than I ever expected. When I first saw you, I was just like, oh, okay, she's a nice lady. She seems like she wants to work with kids. Yes. She wants to work with the younger ones was what it looks like based on what I was told. Like, yes. okay, she's cool. I'll keep her in her zone. I'm not going to infringe too much. But I think the first day you were wearing boots. But one yes, of the I next days so. I saw you, you were wearing sneakers. But I was like, okay, maybe this is just a one-off kind of thing. And then a couple of days passed, we didn't really have any interactions because we're in different classrooms and we left at different times. We had a small conversation on a pair of shoes that I was wearing, which I think I was wearing my Westbrooks. And he said, oh, those are nice shoes. I was like, thanks. I believe so. And you would ask me about them. Um, I wanted to memory. take the kids. <laughs> I wanted to take the kids out for basketball, but we ended up not. These are normally my hoop shoes. Normally I wear stuff that's a lot better looking. And then you said, oh, well, I'm into sneakers too. And I said, oh, really now? <laughs> and I tested you a little bit. I asked you a couple of questions. You told me some of your favorite shoes and I was like, okay. And then you told me about breads. I was like, okay, that seems like a very, very easy answer. I'll let that one <laughs> skate. And then you came to school. The Royals. Yes. And I said, hold on. You have a pair. I remember of the your Royals. reaction. And you said, yeah. And it was when you were walking in through the cafeteria and I saw it on stage and I had to do a double take. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. She knows about her shoes. We're going to have a talk. And, we, <laughs> and you said, oh yeah, we're going to have a talk. I was like, okay, you caught me slipping. All right. So all that to say with the surprise of you understanding sneaker culture and then with the, the various conversations that we've had through text and in person about yeah. sneakers and all this stuff. One of the lessons that I always teach when working with kids and really talking to anybody about sneakers is the, the overall structure of hip hop. It started out with the DJs having the records that people would dance to at discos. And then they, it grew into to breakers, uh, b-boys dancing to the break beats of the tracks. And then it turned into MCs or people who uh, rapped over these break points of the tracks. So it went from that 
and everybody wore whatever they wanted to. And then it sort of molded more into the fashion side. This movement that they started ended up growing from just wanting to get into a disco, but not having the money or the right skin tone to get into it to now we're in 2021 and now hip hop has encapsulated everything. And that's something that nobody expected. Yes. So, and me getting to know you, and then with everything that's happened in hip hop over time, merges into one of my favorite and surprising quotes in chapter five, The Beauty That Surrounds Us. And you used a Tupac quote. (laughs) I love how you noticed. I'm going to go back to the section and go back to how it's referenced. Yes, and I have my book right in my hand too, in case I need exactly. to Exactly. <laughs> so when I, this is just the entire paragraph and then it'll say exactly where the Tupac part is. And I'm going to explain why this is the first part I wanted to talk about. When I despair, I often surprise myself by snapping out of it quickly, simply by looking around me, the lush green grasses, the aquamarine blue skies, the golden sun. I cannot help but have tears in my eyes while looking at all of this and thinking of my creator behind all of his creation. How much beauty surrounds us and how much we are numb to it. Well-known rapper Tupac Shakur once asked, why are we dying to live if we're just living to die? And although I cannot claim to have an answer, I do believe we're so caught up in the materialistic world that we sometimes forget to live. I am not claiming perfection, for we all are adapting and learning, but at the same time, we need to be mindful. So. (laughs) I love the fact that you read to me what I wrote, because I don't happen to hear it like that ever. So it's awesome to hear someone else read to me, because it just impacts you differently versus writing it. And uh, some authors are used to reading their books and having to explain it on different talk shows and different media outlets and all these different things, but they never actually get to hear it for themselves from somebody. So that was something that I wanted to do throughout this interview. Thanks for pointing that out. Yes. And I appreciate that. That was awesome. So why I wanted to talk about this one first is another childhood memory. Um, It was around the time that I was living in a specific house with my mom. I didn't have a radio of my own until we moved to that house. I had a three-piece radio set. It was a CD player on top with the FM radio, and then it, and it had the two tape decks where you could do one to record and make, uh, create oh, your own mixtape awesome. and then one to play. I had asked my mom for a couple of cassette tapes, and I had three. All three of them were able to be recorded over, but one of them I made a specific mixtape that I was not going to mess with. And around that time, there was a movie about Tupac and Biggie. It was sort of like a documentary movie. But one of the songs that was... Uh, the promotion for the movie, the press was this song that was put together by Eminem and presumably by Dr. Dre as well, that incorporated recorded track from Tupac and a recorded track from Biggie. And they put it on this track that was a sample. And this song that I'm speaking about is called Running. That year from fifth grade to halfway through sixth grade, was my favorite song in the world. Wow. And so (laughs) I wasn't thinking about it at all. I recorded it on my radio, on the tape. I would turn on the tape deck. I would listen to that tape where it just had the song over and over and over and over and over again. And my mom would get mad that I was sitting there bumping the song as loud as I possibly could. (laughs) And that I knew all the words to it. And when I was taking tests in class, I was humming the song. I was rapping it to myself. (laughs) 
So we all have that one song too, right? Just like the book idea. You have that one song that speaks to you as well. And mm-hmm. music, music just really hits you differently. Yeah. And understanding everything that you had written in that paragraph, it all really wrapped in really nicely, pun intended, with this song. At least in my instance, I am guilty of just taking the very simple things, even with the upbringing that I've had uh, in my faith and my walks of life, taking very, very simple things for granted and something that I talk to kids about as well. Um, but mine isn't so much about the, the simplicity of life. For me, it's the ease of use of certain body parts. <laughs> yes, I've coached, I've played all these different sports with kids and after school and recess and all this stuff. And one thing I always say is you never know what part of the body you really need until you mess it up. That's so, so true. You don't really know how much you use your shoulder until you tear your rotator cuff. Yes. And simple things is just lifting up your forearm to your just your elbow. You've got to use your shoulder for that. There are certain muscles that help out with that. Absolutely. Um, and walking or even just sitting and trying to move your toes. There are certain ligaments that are connected all throughout your leg that help out with moving those toes. So all these different things are like everything is connected. All the little things are connected to the big things. And we take all of these things for granted because we don't see the end picture. We don't see the biggest part of what it means to live this life. We don't see all of the potential rewards because they're just that, they're potential, they're not tangible for the third time. I'm guilty of it. I still am to this day. I think we all are. <laughs> we all have a lot of things that we take for granted and it's not intentional, but it's just something that I think because we're always on the run as like a human species. And in the book, I think I mentioned it too, how we're constantly on the go, that sometimes we just don't take a breather to just stop and admire and appreciate everything that we have, you know, whether it's God-given, whether, and I reference in the book a lot, that you don't need to believe in a God, but if you believe in a higher being, a higher power, you know, because I did want it to really be for everyone, not just people to be like, oh, well, I don't, you know, she believes in God, I don't, so, but I wanted it to be like, if you believe in a higher power, if you believe in karma, law of attraction, any of those things, you'll understand that, you know, appreciating the simple things of life. And I appreciate your verbiage throughout that, throughout the entire book, you didn't force feed anything, it was sort of like, okay, this is all based on your beliefs. I'm just giving you a different way to look at it. But if you don't believe in something, that's okay. If you don't believe what I believe in, that's okay too. We're all here. We're all human. That's the most important thing. Yes. And there are a lot of self-help books that definitely try to force the find a higher power to believe in sort of, uh, sort of mentality. And it's not for everybody, but this is a good refresher that it's like, okay, I don't have to find that. And you'd have to read the rest of the book. And this is what I'm encouraging the listeners to do. You'd have to read the rest of the book to understand why it's not as emphasized. And it all makes so much sense as it all goes along. And it's not a long read by any measure. I do no. want to emphasize that as well. All of us can set aside some time. You have time to set aside to watch TikTok videos, to watch YouTube videos, exactly. to watch sitcoms and stuff on TV. <laughs> you have time to set aside for a book and it's 30 minutes that you really need and the chapters you can read in about five. So you should be able to get at least six chapters. It only took that long because I was also taking notes. Yes. You, you were taking their own notes. Throughout 30 minutes. 
you could get through half the book. And Mr. Quincy is absolutely right about that. The book is not a lengthy book by any means. The point of it was to touch all age groups. It could be for youth. It could be for adult elderly. Mm -hmm. It could be for any gender, any ethnicity, and just something. I, I like to call it a little bit of a quick read. But at the same time, it's metaphorical. So you do like, you know, you were taking notes, a lot of deep, thorough notes for it, because I think you were really grasping it. It's not something that you can just read and just be like, okay, I put it down. I think it's definitely a book that if you take notes, if you let it sink in, it can really benefit you versus just skipping through it. But I know a lot of non-book lovers have read the book in one uh, sitting or two sittings because they were like, oh, I just kept turning the page, which makes me so happy because I'm like, okay, at least it's something that interests or touches people with so it's definitely not for the non-book lovers I mean I'm not a crazy um, book reader everyday type of person either I never was I'm more hands-on but if I do have a book it's usually paper because I just naturally am more traditional when it comes to paperback versus electronic versions um, but for the non-book lovers, it's I think would, it would be great for them, like Mr. Quincy said, because it's not lengthy. It's just something you can really read and just maybe appreciate. Yeah. And this was a read because I wanted to support a friend and then it turned into a legitimate interest in the book. And then it turned into, okay, now I've got to talk to her about this book in a formal setting to where I can get this out to other people to want to read. So with Thank that being so much said, for that. Thank you um, for the disclaimer. Absolutely. <laughs> Going back to chapter two, which is the chapter where I had the most notes from. I had three different nuggets from oh, that. I am excited. What the um, chapter see. two is the future overpowers the past. I actually wrote a poem. I'm not going to say it now. I will send it to you later. Yes. That I wrote based on reading that chapter. I'm so but excited. But it was based on reading this chapter. Every so, time I hear those words or that's read that, you know, text or that message or that, you know, um, review, it makes me genuinely so, so happy because I know it's just sincere. And that's what I, that's what my goal is with this book. I just wanted to touch people the right way and aid them in their quest and journey of self-help or getting to know themselves and reaching their self-identity and everything. So right. that makes me so excited. Um, the first one that I had, it's the second paragraph of chapter two. As a species living in a civilization that is continuously changing, we are very susceptible to adjusting our personalities to what is thought to be the norm in a given society. I'm a person that has a big vocabulary. I like using big words. So that automatically stuck out to me. To break that down, we are people living in, cha in a changing world. That's all that really says. We are constantly looking to fit into whatever we are in. We, 100%. In, this is part of what I describe myself as, and I'm guilty of this in the right way. I always call myself a chameleon. Case in point, chameleons blend into their surroundings. Their bodies naturally fit into their surroundings. Yes. But if you ever go into any reptile room, one of the first things, kids always look for snakes first. But one of the most interesting things to look for is a chameleon. It blends in, but the animal itself stands out as one of those that you always want to look for. I so love that that's what I really took from this. In this ever-changing world, there are always things that affect us in different ways. And in that, all these different things, we try to find a different way to feed into being a normal, quote unquote, person. Yeah. Um, and normal has different faces. Yeah. So normal could mean that don't look too rich, don't look too poor. You're just the right shade of brown. 
You're, if you're too pale during the summer, you've got to caramelize a little bit. And if you're a little too caramel in the wintertime, then you've got to spend some time indoors, get a little yeah. more pale, and then <laughs> you kind of fit. You could wear a pair of Jordans out here in California, but if you wear a pair of Jordans that aren't the right color in New York, it's a problem. Exactly. Or if you wear a pair of Tim's in Texas, and obviously you're crazy because it's too hot for that down there. <laughs> Um, when we have people that come into our lives, there are a lot of changes that we try to make to make it seem like we're at a different area than we are, or make ourselves to look and appear the part emotionally to where we want to be. Um, I want you to explain that whole section for me. So you touched bases very well on what I was trying to present to the readers, but I love how you switched it to a more positive outlook because although it wasn't necessarily negative, but I remember when I was writing this part of the chapter, it was more about how we try too hard to fit the norm and not be genuinely ourselves and accept our individuality. So it wasn't negative, but it was just a lot more it was more of a subtle way of being a little bit more like confrontational with the idea that we never, we always try to fit in. Mm -hmm. But I love how you turned it into more of a positive form of it. Because in this paragraph, I was mainly emphasizing how we constantly just want to be loved, accepted, not for ourselves and our unique personalities, but more so because we really desperately try to fit in in a society and in a world where we have to be just like everyone else. And I feel like we lose our individuality doing that because although, yes, you become accepted by everyone around you, the truth is that's not genuinely who you are and you're not revealing your true self that you mm -hmm. are. And there are pros and cons to that. Yes, you're accepted, but the truth is it's not genuinely your self-identity. So I feel like there's always that constant battle between and that's what this book and this chapter really focuses on that battle right. of being your true self versus who you want others to perceive you as mm -hmm. and I think that's something that even now at this day and age it's just sometimes I get stuck in that mode where I'm like that person doesn't like me they need to like me but the truth is they don't need to like me. And sometimes some people will love you. Some people will hate you. And it's not because of you as an individual. It's just because people always, you know, my grandfather always says, uh, there's a phrase in Farsi, in English, it translates to people look into their own mirror which means that when they look into the mirror, although they're looking at you, they see themselves in you. If someone sees bad in you, that's usually because there's something internal with them that they lack or they see bad in themselves and vice versa with the goodness. If you see good in someone else, it's because you yourself are genuinely, you know, you have that goodness to see the good in someone else. I that like that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I like that. My mom always says this till this day. That's one of the very popular metaphors that Farsi speakers use. And I know that's what I was trying to get across with this chapter that you know, while I was writing this, I don't know if I told you, but I was about 19 when I wrote this book. No, this that I did not know. Okay, so now we've got to get into it. So you wrote this when you were 19? So I wrote the book when I was 19, but I wrote it not with the purpose of publishing or turning it into a book. I just was at a point in my life where I really was struggling with who I was and what my purpose was in life. You know, I think at that age, adolescence is a very um, touchy type of time where you're trying to get to know your self-identity, purpose in life, and answering those main questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Right. Who am I? 
who should I be? Who should I hang out with? And I remember that it was just kind of a little bit of a more tough time for me still getting to know who I was, but also fully trying to blossom and appreciate and accept who I was without pleasing everyone. Because, you know, not everyone will be a fan of you. And, And I think at that age, it was difficult for me to understand that not everyone will I hate to say it, but this is reality. Not everyone will like you or like certain things about you. But now I'm very accepting to that idea. And I understand that versus then at age 19, it was very difficult for me to comprehend that. So I turned to writing and I just put everything on paper and I was typing and writing and just to put my feelings out onto paper. And then years along the line, I came across an author that I was in contact with during my UC Davis days. And he actually referred me to his publishing company because he read my manuscript and he said you know you should actually really do something with this it can help people so that's why I went through the publishing company and we published it years later into this book and I personally made the edits I changed things around to kind of really turn it more into a self-help guide Um, but I wrote it then and it's just it's insane when you look back and you see what you wrote how you felt and how much growth and how much growing I'm still doing it's it's an ever-evolving process like It's like a semi-permanent yearbook, being able to look back at your old thoughts and seeing the word pictures of what it was that you were thinking at that time. And like, okay, this is how I feel like I can help people versus how you see now, like, okay, this was good. I know I can do more or no, this is the peak of what I was thinking. And I don't think that I can go much further than this. So it's good that you were able to have that within you and have those connections to have this book being made. At 19, I was just trying to increase my vertical. So I mean, that definitely shows the difference in our thought processes and in different things around that time. And for reference, Ms. Zam and I, she sounds wise beyond her years, but we're both yes. the same age. We I'm are, 27. Yes. She's But 27. you're also very wise for your age too. And I've also, I've said this to some of our coworkers when just the topic has come up and I'm like, Mr. Quincy is just so wise, kind, and sincere about supporting his friends and other people in general, because, you know, that's what I always see. And that's, um, you know, nowadays that's rare. I'm going to be quite honest. It's rare and it's not a bad thing that it's rare but it's not a great thing either because when you do meet rare people genuine people then you appreciate them more which is fabulous because it's not as common one thing i used to say is man i wish that there were more clones of me to be exactly where i because i know that if i'm there in person i can say or do whatever that i can to put a smile on your face or i can help you to think a different way but because i'm one person and i'm stuck in this specific place in time this actual setting I can't do much more other than reach out when I can. I can't overextend myself the way that I know that I I want to. But that's a beautiful thing about being only one individual is that there aren't that many people like me. There aren't that many people that are willing to go this extra mile just to do one little thing for somebody. And in some ways, it's it's kind of a bad thing on me because I focus so much on helping others and uh, doing so much to make sure that other people are comfortable that I tend to mess up my own comfort zone or I tend to care less about myself or I'm talking to someone for so long that I forget to eat or I empathize so far that it turns into sympathy and then I end up not doing for myself what I'm asking others to do for themselves. Um, Sometimes it's a mental thing where I give so much of my emotions and my soul, I give so much to them 
it's like, man, now I have nobody to give in to me, or I didn't leave enough for myself to be able to do what I need to do for me. And that and, can get emotionally draining, mm-hmm. you know, because you're giving so much of yourself, other people that you indirectly neglect yourself. And I feel like that's so common. And that's and, where it's like, make yourself happy first. Mm -hmm. And going back to what you were talking about earlier, it's my responsibility for what I say, not, and I'm not responsible for what it is that you interpret. How that all circles back into that is for me on my birthday last year, I said that I'm now officially responsible for three things. I'm responsible for my intentions. I'm responsible for my reactions and I'm responsible for my faith in God. Nothing in that has the letter U in it, which means that it doesn't have to do with you. Yeah. This is all strictly for me. <laughs> my intentions, my reactions, my faith in God. Those are the things that I'm responsible for. And if it's not any of those three things, then I'm not putting any more energy than I feel is necessary. I know what my limits are. So it's sort of like working out at a gym. On your first day working out at a gym, you're not going to go straight for benching 225. I have been doing all these different things. I've done it for so long that I've worked up this endurance, that I've learned a certain level of patience that I now am able to work with kids. In the beginning, it was just sort of like, okay, I see this and I read about this where the nice guy eventually gets the girl because he listens. And then it turned into more intention, like, okay, it's not just so much about getting girls. I'm actually invested in the people that I put my time in and my energy and my uh, sometimes money. in. I want to be able to have that connection. And it gives you that intrinsic motivation that intrinsic feeling that positive just you know that release of like endorphins that hey i'm doing something for someone else that makes them feel better so it makes you yourself feel better that's i think what we have in common too because i believe in servitude and i always felt like my purpose was to serve others like yes you lead Yes, I'm an Aries. We are natural born leaders too. I believe in Zodiac. So I know we lead and I enjoy leading, but also I believe through leadership, you need to serve. Right. You need to serve others because I mean, you can be an arrogant leader and not get to people the same way versus serving them. See, you're going to make me go straight to chapter eight. I'm not going there because you <laughs> talked about that. But I really, I don't even remember. There was, <laughs> it's been a while. See? I'm looking back now too. I said, let me double check. That's both of us. (laughs) It was chapter six. Um, Oh yes. Okay. uh, This power is not narcissistic or invasive, but rather a power of giving and empowering. What many people have perceived as powerful in the past is not in spirit powerful at all. Hitler, a dictator who ruled over a group of people was viewed as powerful, yet power does not lie within the hands of the individual who does not take others into consideration, but rather in the hands of good-willed people whose good-willed being who believe in the positivity and acceptance. So yes, all of that. What you just said, all of that, just like. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. We're going from different, from chapter one to chapter six to chapter eight, but that's the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I stand by that paragraph that I wrote in the book because it's absolutely true. Dictatorship is not leadership to me. Mm -hmm. Serving is leadership. I love that one too. I think that one will always be one of my favorite sentences in the book. My second note that I had from chapter two, was from this, we can understand where our ethics lie and who we are to become. To give a little bit more of a backstory on 
where that comes from, being able to receive reinforcement and understanding we should use our positive experiences as something that gives a backbone to who we are as people to help us to understand where our ethics lie and who we are to become. If we focus more on the positives of who we are, we can thus go on to be a more positive person. But if you want to build yourself with negative blocks, you go on to be more of a negative person. And that's um, actually, I, I'm so intrigued at the fact that that's one of your favorites. See, I'm telling you. I always overlooked, you know, that's something that, for example, I would overlook. But the fact that you pinpointed that specific segment is amazing. It's reading those little things and seeing those little things and appreciating those little things that Full, that gives you a better appreciation for the big picture yeah. and everything that happened. So, um, and that and chapter, then, the future overpowers the past. I think that's the one that I spoke a lot about Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it has a lot of psychological references because one of my majors in college was psychology. And I was always intrigued by psychology because you get to know someone's true self and just even the process of self-identity. It's a lot of psychological concepts and aspects that are involved because self-help, you know, self-identity, inner peace that's all psychological and it stems from experiences and I think in that chapter I was really referencing what you experience in life and how like you said we should be taking away more of the positive versus the negative because that's what you're going to become you kind of mold yourself to who you are based on your experiences so Mm -hmm. you can either perceive it negatively or positively but for me I think I've come to a point where the negative I used to really you know, the first thing we ask is, why me? Why did this happen? Why? But I've come to a point where now I see it as, okay, this happened to me, but it's probably a blessing in disguise. What did I gain from this bad thing? Or what am I gaining? So for me, through that time, I was going through, you know, just backstabbing people I trusted made me really lose my trust with them because they took part in actions that I would never do to them. I was in a culture shock as to like, you know, why did I, I'm a good person. Why did this happen to me? But it made me so resilient, powerful in a sense, because I got my, I gained my power back by, I guess, letting go of that why me and now saying more like, okay, good. It happened to me. I'm strong now. I know what to expect or, you know, I'm glad it happened. So that's what I really wanted to with that chapter to help everyone with, try to steer away from the why me or like victimizing yourself because that really puts you in like a negative mental space because you got to gain that power back. And the only way to gain it is for you to say, I'm powerful, I'm strong, I'm this, I I got this. So sorry to go on a... No, no, that's perfect. (laughs) It's not the experiences that make the person, but the perception of their experiences. And you paraphrase that, but that's exactly what stuck out when you said that. And then the last quote from this chapter, one idea that sticks out in my mind is the notion that no one is able to change your identity except yourself. We have the power and authority to be who we want in life without any outside influence. What we set our minds to is what we will believe and become. That is power of belief. And when I was in high school, there was one day that I went to, I went over to my dad's and, uh, He does believe that there is a higher power. There are different things that happen. Everything happens for a reason. Um, And there's this one day in high school where he definitely had me sit down and watch The Secret. Um, Very The Secret. Wow. What The Secret really talks about is the power of your belief. And if you believe in something hard enough in one way or another, it will happen. 
So with this, if we see ourselves as a success, we will do anything that we can to be successful. If we see ourselves as failure, then we'll stop everything and succeed in failing. Yes. No matter what it is that you see yourself as, whether it's to be the best, whether it's just to be good enough, whatever goal that you have, your individualistic goal is directly tied to the energy that you put into it. You will become what you put your energy toward. So the title of the book is Light of Consistency. If you want to be a consistent person, you are going to do that. You have that in your mind. It's in the forefront of your mind. It's what you're thinking about when you wake up. It's what you're thinking about when you're at lunch. It's what you're thinking about when you're on break. If you want to do these things, you have to speak it and believe it for yourself. It's always good to have a reminder because absolutely, that was one of the main intents of the book, just to have that in play. And just Mm -hmm. like The Secret, it was that law of attraction part was really emphasized too, but maybe in different verbiage. I used the word law of attraction a couple of times in the book, but it was more in different words. So that way it wouldn't be so repetitive. But you'll notice one thing that's consistent throughout this book Ah. is the word (laughs) consistent, because that's exactly what I was trying to imply and just kind of have to keep reading that word consistent, consistent, because once you read it, you start actually implementing it Mm -hmm. in your activities and in your routine, and then you become that. But for me, it applies to every aspect of your life. And then even getting to know people on a personal level the quickest way to get to know someone is when you see what they're consistent at or if they're consistent relationships friendships uh, employees if you see that an employee is not consistent in their work then you know that most likely they're not going to put their 100% into it because they're not being consistent our goal in this book is to be your best consistent self at everything in life you know with relationships friendships but most importantly with yourself. And that's one of the things that sticks out to almost everybody that I come across is how much I hate missing work for any reason. And I don't take the word hate lightly. Like there are very few things in this world that I hate. (laughs) If I know that I can be at work, I will be at work. But the consistency is what I work for. My relationship building is based on my consistency and being there. Whenever somebody wanted to call out, I was there. I was the first person. I was like, hey, text me, call me. If you need Mm -hmm. some time off or you have anything come up and it's my day off, I'm going to be the first person there. One of my favorite staff members at the daycare that I went to growing up was Mr. Cornelius. We called him Mr. C. Mm -hmm. And the entire time that I was in CDI from first grade through sixth grade, well, part of seventh grade, I had seen Mr. C a total of four times. No way. He wasn't a sub. He just happened to be there sometimes. But it sucked that he wasn't there more consistently. He wasn't a regular staff member. He wasn't a consistent presence on campus. But when he was there, you definitely knew that he was there. I felt like Mr. C is that person that I had growing up that I didn't see a lot of. My sixth grade teacher, he was a model of consistency and a teacher that I wanted. He was my first male teacher and he was always there. Yeah. And then in high school, I had Mr. Billings, who was like the best of both worlds. He was consistent. He shared life experiences, was very personable. I could talk to him about anything. If I felt like I couldn't be in a class for a day or something like that, he would let me hang out in his class for as long as I wanted to. Uh, He let me be his TA twice. Uh, The only thing that I have ever held against that man in the entire time that I've known him is that he is a diehard Raiders fan. But that's it. Everything else about that. Oh, man, you I must be no... holding that against me too, then. <sighs> you know it. 
(laughs) (laughs) But in all of that, I learned how to be a proper leader, how to be consistent, how to be invested in each person's time and family and space. And the level of patience and hard work and work ethic is a lot different at age 19 than it is now at age 27. Volunteering after graduating, it was more of a pride thing. Like, okay, these kids are opening up to me more than they open up to them. But now I'm at a point where, okay, I'm fine if they open up to other people outside of me. Mm -hmm. There was a situation with a student where I said something that was taken differently than how I intended. And that student ended up opening up to Miss Perez a little bit more about it than he opened up to me. But I let him know, I was like, hey, I'm sorry that I that I bothered you. I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. It wasn't my intention. Even if you didn't open up to me at first, you at least opened up to somebody else. And I learned not to take that personal. Even three years ago, I would have been butthurt at like, yes. oh, they didn't open up to me. And then I would tease them and make them feel worse about it playfully but mm-hmm. and now I'm like okay I get it you know I'm I was not talking gonna to do someone else about what we do every day for the five days a week working with kids and that's kind of what I mentioned and I was showing them some of the little you know drawings and letters they write and I just said you know you think you're patient until you work with youth Oh, yeah. And then you realize it doesn't really matter what age they are because they all have different needs, different wants, and you need to have a different level of understanding with each one of them because they're uniquely individual. Although they might be one grade level, they're all, they have their own needs and type of personality. I said something similar. I said, you know, even six months ago, I may have perceived things differently versus when you work with them and you truly understand. And it's like, sometimes they might not open up with you or I, but they might open up with someone else. And that's where I'm okay with it. Because for me too, I say, as long as you are opening up with someone, it doesn't even have to be me. Before it might have hit a little bit more home. Like, why are they not opening up with me? Is it because Mm -hmm. of me? But You know, we're at a point where, no, I know it's not a personal thing. It's just a preference. And sometimes you just, that energy, they may be like, okay, let me feel comfortable just saying it to so-and-so versus this person. So I totally agree with that, where it's not something that I take personal either. Actually, it's something that we take pride in because at least you're accepting of them going and telling someone else, you know, versus like, oh, oh my gosh, don't tell them. So I agree. That's all internal growth because I'm not perfect. I am consistently trying to be a better version of myself day by day and I'm learning and I learn from the kids. I think we sometimes forget it's not just about adults teaching kids, it's that kids can teach adults something. And so as tough as I was on my teachers, they always said, I hope that you come across a kid that is exactly like you are. (laughs) And I met Tony. Yes. He is me reincarnated while I'm alive. That (laughs) Uh, is insane. The only thing that we had differently is our ethnicity and our parental situation. Other than that, everything else about us, our communication styles and how mine were at that age, the amount of people that were in my life, I was willing to actually call friend versus who was actually a friend. The people who actually looked out for me versus people who I thought were looking out for me, Mm -hmm. Uh, the family situation, emotions, our temperament, our athleticism, everything was the same. Um, Very similar. Trying to talk to him was like talking to someone in the mirror and he opened up to me and I opened up to him. So when I talk about relationship building, if I ever had a picture, it would be a picture of Tony. Yes. 
And the first tough day that I had with Tony, I messaged all of my teachers if I had their email or if I could find it on the EGUSD directory. And I apologized to them. <laughs> I said, I am sorry for anything that I've ever done. I'm sorry for any experience that I have led that you did not like that I had a part in. Yes. And one of my teachers actually emailed me back one question. You finally met a kid that was just like you, didn't you? <laughs> Oh, really? That, is that was one of the knew. first questions that, that that teacher sent back. And I said, yeah, yes. I really did. And then I met she, a mini-me, basically. Exactly. And not to what say that it? relationship building is the end-all be-all to working with kids. There are a lot of people that work with kids that don't get that. The ability to see a child as not just a student. You don't yes. see them as just another dollar sign when you're working at a place that isn't a school. You see that child as somebody who is living and who is going to grow up and remember how you treated them. And yes. based on how you treated them as to whether they will be the president of the United States or a dictator leading on World War III. I agree with that. Definitely one of my favorite students, Ayush, and I still tell him this to this day, one of my favorite students of all time. He wasn't the most confident student. I figured I could just talk to him and just be myself with him. And it worked. He was scared to try out for the basketball team. I don't care what he says when listening to this. I know he was scared of trying out for the basketball team. He ended up being my starting four. There was one time where he got fouled and I saw the rage in his face because he got pushed and he was ready to fight. But I was able to pull him aside. And my best friend, Antoine, he pulled him aside too. We talked to him, got him calmed down, got him back into the game. His mom wasn't too keen on him playing basketball, but uh, she actually saw him play in, in his last playoff game. Like he told me before, he's like, yo, my mom's going to be here. I don't know how this is going to go. I was like, hey, just plays if she's not here. She hasn't been here for the other games. We've been balling out. Don't let it get in your head now. Yeah. Unfortunately, we lost the game, but when he played, he played really well. His mom came up to me at the end of program. Hey, based on how you coach and based on how intense he plays and how well he plays, I think I'm going to sign him up for the junior NBA or CYBL. Which one do you think is better? I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. What? Wow. Pleased to meet you for the first time. Yes. And what did you just say? <laughs> and she said, yeah, I haven't told Ayush, but this is a decision I made. I was going to make based on how today went. And it also helped that they lost because now I could see how well he takes losses. He told me that Monday, because that game was on a Friday, he told me Monday, he was like, yo, my mom is signing me up for, to play basketball. And I had to play surprise. I was like, what word? That so now amazing. he's hearing the story. But once he promoted from eighth grade, he reached out to me. And this is my favorite story of working with kids ever, where I was in the back seat of the car with my uh, mom and stepdad. We had stopped over at Safeway. We were sitting in the parking lot. Virgil had went in. Mom was sitting in the front seat. I was sitting in the back seat. Um, I was not having the best of days at work. I don't know if I posted something, but Ayush messaged me on Instagram. And long story short, he thanked me for being his favorite team leader that he's ever had. And this was two years removed from me working with him. I start bawling immediately. Like... And then he said that his promotion was coming up and he asked me if I was going to be able to make it. I said, I don't know. It depends on how, how my work schedule goes, but I would be honored to be there if I can actually get there. He said, you're going to be there because I'm going to make sure either me or my mom buys you a ticket to be at the promotion. I was like, <laughs> I love that. And I start crying. He was like, I really want to thank you because 
you have inspired me to be a better student, better athlete. I love looking at what you do with custom shoes. So now it's something that I want to do too. How good of a person you are is how I hope to be a fraction of growing up. And I'm like, you stop it. I didn't say that, but like in the backseat, I'm crying. My mom was like, what's going on? I was like, one of my old students just asked me to be at his promotion ceremony and he's offering to buy my ticket for it. So I don't have to pay it at all. And, and like yeah. the money was an issue. It was just a time from school. Exactly. Um, but the fact that he thought enough of me, that is the one thing that keeps all of this going. That one situation, it was, it, like I said, I wasn't having the best of days. You impacted and his life in a way where it just comes in full circle. You never realize the impact that you make on a student until they're able to come back and let you know. So all of that led into what I'm doing now and why I do it. I'm not too prideful to say that there aren't moments where I need help, which is why I'm glad that I was able to come across your book. And I know that there is a purpose behind me being able to meet you and you being put over at the school that, that yes. we work at together. Yes. This might not be it. This might just be a small little portion of it. But for right now, I'm appreciating it as if this is the, the big picture that by chance or divine intervention or whatever you want to call it, we have been able to meet. We have yes. been able to converse. We've been able to learn and teach each other. So Absolutely. I'm very thankful of this and opportunity. I am grateful too. And thank being you for able having to have me all on. This. Absolutely. Being your first, you know, guest on Yes, my first official guest. Is a humbling experience for me. I appreciate it. I am honored to be here. I think it's amazing and a beautiful opportunity. So I thank you for having me on here. I was just so ecstatic when you told me how much you enjoyed my book, because I think as an, as a writer, as an author, sometimes you'll always have that in the back of your mind. Like, I truly hope at least they would take something, one thing away from the book. So I, I absolutely admire that. And I appreciate that a lot. So thank you. Yeah, for sure.